Superhero Stuff You Should Know is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hey, this is Ben from Superhero Stuff You Should Know, and I have an important announcement for you guys. At the end of every single episode of Superhero Stuff You Should Know, you might hear a shout out to our fans, one of whom is Matt Herring, who was one of the original Superhouse fans. He's always given us his support, and now it's time that we support him. Uh, We've just recently found out that Matt has been diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. And as a cancer survivor myself, I know personally that there's a lot of emotional and financial strain that comes into that. Uh, His wife, Kelly, has set up a GoFundMe account at GoFundMe.com slash F slash Matthew hyphen kicks hyphen cancer 039S hyphen butt. Uh, and hopefully you can help reduce the financial strain to that as well as some of the emotional strain that comes with that. Again, that's gofundme.com slash F slash Matthew dash kicks dash cancer 039S dash butt. Matt Herring was the first, I guess you could say, true Superhouse fan. We were Superhouse at that time. You know, the first fan of this podcast and what we do here and um, has always supported us, talked about us, and um, he's from a town close to where I'm from, and uh, so we share that as well, and just a huge superhero fan and, you know, nerd like the rest of us, and now he's going through that, and uh, if you could donate just at least any amount of money to that link that Ben just said, that would be truly appreciated. Just hang in there, Matt. You'll beat this thing soon. Up in the sky, look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! And the endless reaches of the universe. There once existed a planet known as Krypton, a planet that burned like a green star in the distant heavens. There, civilization was far advanced, and it brought forth a race of supermen, whose mental and physical powers were developed to the absolute peak of human perfection. But there came a day when giant quakes threatened to destroy Krypton forever. One of the planet's leading scientists, sensing the approach of doom, placed his infant son in a small rocket ship and sent it hurtling in the direction of the Earth, just as Krypton exploded. The rocket ship sped through star-studded space, landing safely on Earth with its precious burden, Krypton's sole survivor. A passing motorist found the uninjured child and took it to an orphanage. As the years went by and the child grew to maturity, he found himself possessed of amazing physical powers. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. The infant of Krypton is now the man of steel, Superman, to best be in a position to use his amazing powers in a never-ending battle for truth and justice. Superman has assumed the disguise of Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter, for a great metropolitan newspaper. This looks like a job for Superman. (laughs) 
Welcome to another episode of Superhero Stuff You Should Know, brought to you by Superhouse Podcast. I am Andrew, as always, and I'm once again joined by Wolfie. Hey, this is Wolfie. As far as I'm concerned, my debt's been paid off. <laughs> and Benatavius Maximus. Yo, yo, yo. Usually the man who knows too much about Batman, now here to learn about Superman. Yes, it's a new era, so to speak. We're not ending Batman completely, obviously. But we are adding a third hero into our rotation after the Ninja Turtles and, of course, Batman. But, uh, yes, this starts uh, adding the third one, which is Superman. We're going back to the OG, the first one, pretty much. So, uh, yeah, this week I will be doling out the tutelage as we go over the first Superman thing that wasn't a comic book or some type of merchandise like toilet paper or something <laughs> like that with Superman's face on it. Gotta wipe my ass with Superman's face, <laughs> Lex Luthor. <laughs> the Flagship Superman cartoons are a series of 17 animated short films released in Technicolor by Paramount Pictures. Well, they eventually became Paramount, but we'll get to that. And, of course, based on the comic book character Superman. Oh. Only the first eight episodes were produced by Fleischer Studios, which was originally known as Inkwell Studios. The remaining episodes were actually completed by Famous Studios, the successor to Fleischer. It basically had mostly the same people in it. On a personal note, I did have a VHS copy of this. Like It had like three episodes on it, I think, along with like some Betty Boop and Popeye or something. It had like a lot for VHS, I think. Or it was a set or something. Anyway... And then I was able to finally finish and see all of them on DC Universe um, while preparing for this podcast episode. But I was wondering, um, what are, what's your guys' like personal history with this series first um, been? I did have a copy on DVD, I think, of all of them. I've, I've, I'm pretty sure I've seen all of the, the Fleischer Superman uh, animated shorts at some point uh, in my life. I know they're a huge influence on animators as well as Batman the Animated Series, the beloved Batman the Animated Series, and you can see the influence in just how the city looks and just the way uh, the characters are drawn. Uh, but uh, funny enough, I have more of a nostalgic affection for the precursor to the Flagship cartoons, which is the radio series ah. uh, with the same with the same voice actors, which I know we'll probably talk about in a bit. But uh, <clears throat> just throwing it out there, the Superman fans are going to hate me for this, but I just I, I kind of find them boring. I'm just not what? really that into. Yeah, exactly. I'm just not. I tried rewatching like the first few, and I'm like, okay, I get it. Like this is the problem is it's great for the time. In my this is my opinion on this. Yeah, it's great for the '40s. Just just see Superman come to life, and in terms of the the, it's got its own unique style to it. I just feel like from a story perspective, this is exactly what a lot of people today criticize superman for he just comes in he saves the day he's able to like there's not a ton of the drama he's not as super powered i noticed in some of the episodes as yeah. we associate him to be so that's kind of cool but outside of that it's just kind of like big disaster happens superman shows up saves the day rinse and repeat and i'm like okay that's cool for a couple episodes but i can't i just can't find myself binging it because eventually it's just it just gets old for me personally the radio wow. series is a little differently but again they're throwing that out there superman fans are already going to hate me but you're not starting off on a good my foot, bro <laughs> <laughs> remember we're going to lead up to batman versus superman so oh shit i might, might as well all right uh, Wolfie, did you ever see these as a well, kid? Well, not so much as a kid, but I've been known to kick back on a late <laughs> night. 
<laughs> After a couple brews and a maybe half bowl of weed, roast it up. Throw on the old <laughs> flashers on YouTube and lull myself okay. off to sleep. So you watched this last week? <laughs> yeah, I watched a few of them. <laughs> uh, I I don't completely agree with Ben, but they, yeah, they're a little boring. Um, they're fun for nostalgia. <laughs> they're really well animated, which I love uh, so much of. But um, other than that, I haven't been like the hugest fan. All right. I don't want to dwell on this too much, but just to have a positive <laughs> comment before we go forward, I think part of it is people like the simplicity of these stories, and they're only like 10 minutes yeah. a piece. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the superhero story. To me, anyway, it's like superhero storytelling in a very pure form because all it is, there's no extra, like, overblown, like, telling uh, how did Krypton get made or, you know, like, they don't give a fuck. They, they tell you they exploded, yeah. that's it, and then Superman saves people. Boom, simple story, that's it's not it. like a mythological so, world built around yeah sometimes, like, not, ev- not everything needs to be Tolkien where everything is fleshed yeah. out. Right. You know what I mean? So... That's uh, let me just put that in there for the Superman fans actually listening to this. <laughs> okay, um, I do like that red cape though. Yowie! All right, so getting back into it, who was Max Fleischer? Max Fleischer was born on July 19th, 1883, and he died September 25th, 1972. He was born to a Jewish family in Krakow, Poland. Krakow was then part of an Austrian Hungarian province in Austria. Of Austrian Poland, he was the second of six children of a tailor from Dobroja Tarnowska. His family immigrated to the United States in March of 1887, settling in New York. Uh, Max Fleischer was a pioneer in the development of the of animated cartoons and the rotoscope. Oh wow, cool! He was the head of, of huh. course, Fleischer Studios that he co-founded with his younger brother Dave. Cartoons already existed at this time, but he uh, was at the time that he was already working, but he really made a lot of the of advances, both technologically and stylistically, that we will get into. Fleischer Studios was also really popular for making Betty Boop and the Popeye cartoons. Popeye was, in particular, was insanely popular at this time. Mm. Was he the superest of men at the time prior to all... I think Popeye <laughs> was sort of a superhero in yeah. a way. And he did, like, take some, like, ju- you know, <laughs> steroid of sorts, like Spinach. Captain America... Spinach, you gotta right? be some kind of superhero to be able to eat canned spinach right out of the can like that and not <laughs> complain about it. Does Flesher ever touch on yeah. what um, Superman's favorite food is? You know, we didn't get to that part in fleshing it out. <laughs> in fleshering it out? Fleischer. <laughs> Fleischer. <laughs> You're killing me over here. It wasn't really the uh, character stuff you wanted to explore that much with this. Killing yeah. me softly. Uh, so it should be noted here that the game Cuphead... I believe borrows heavily from Fleischer, cool. mostly from Fleischer, Fleischer uh, as opposed to other cartoons from that from that era. So uh, I always thought that was a great idea for a game. You ever played Cuphead, Wolfie? I haven't played it. I've seen a lot of the footage and everything. I've always wanted to. I heard it's hard. It's a cool. It's cool, but it's uh, yeah, it's super hard. Great look I, though. I like challenging, but not hard. <laughs> All right. So music for the Fleischer Studios was mostly composed by Sammy Timberg. And then after him, was he was succeeded by a guy named Winston Sharples. On a personal note, Max Fleischer was married to his childhood sweetheart, Ethel, a.k.a. S.E. Goldstein, on Christmas Day, 1905. 
Nice. That's so sweet. Way to go. So about the rotoscope, Leonard Maltin brought us this little tidbit. The self-effacing cartoonist and inventor was Walt Disney's only serious rival for many years. Like Disney and many other pioneering animators, he started out as a newspaper cartoonist. A serious art student, he also had scientific knowledge and curiosity. While working as art director for Popular Science Monthly, he devised the idea of creating animated cartoons by filming live-action footage first, then tracing those movements one frame at a time. <laughs> Thank you, Leonard. Sounds just like him. <laughs> You're not far off. His voice is a little higher. <laughs> yeah. but I don't yeah. give a... Yeah, that's pretty bleep. good, though. So if this time animation was a bit stiff and jerky, this is the beginning of animation, after all. But uh, Fleischer devised uh, the rotoscope, which was a huge improvement in animation, and it combined a projector and an easel for chasing images from live-action film. I love rotoscope. It made movement more realistic, less jerky. Totally. The rotoscope also led to, <laughs> led to the idea for the bouncing <laughs> ball from Follow the Bouncing Ball in old sing-along music videos. Just follow the bouncing ball. guys remember those at all yeah totally cartoons okay yeah tell so your parents that. to buy this cereal next time they're at the <laughs> yes <laughs> oh yeah shit like that I yes that. my mom would always say follow the bouncing ball like sh- that's just like something that they said in the 70s but I mom guess. i'm scared uh, <laughs> i don't want to <laughs> follow it i'm not conformist. so yes fleischer I guess it just came from uh, having the rotoscope and just being part of early animation. He was just, it was just ripe for the picking. Just to it's such a that. badass technique. Can I just say for one second, Waking Life, yes. fucking Scanner Darkly, yes, yes. those later films that have used it, and many other films have used it. A lot of uh, anime, more recent anime has used it. Um, I mean, it's just such a cool technique. Has anime used rotoscope? Some, some, uh, some anime, I can't remember. I think da- Dallos, Dallos, uh, they would do some body movements. But uh, Fire in the Sky, Ralph Bakshi used a lot of um, rotoscope animation. It's a really great technique. It's oh, always shit. so fluid and convincing, obviously, because and it's just such a miraculous technique. Anyway, it's great. Yes, the guy's kind of a genius for creating yeah. that. And it was like animation was around for like what five years, and then he was like rotoscope. It was the it was so. the first time where somebody <laughs> figured out you can have like, you know. Uh, certain photographic properties or whatever do the heavy lifting for you in terms of your animation because really all you got to do is trace that frame by frame as opposed to you know distorting the figures and stretching certain things to have fluid motion with cartoon characters and such indeed indeed no i agree yeah rotoscope is obviously one of the it's uh almost as big as animation itself it gets me going (laughs) yes so as hinted by Malton there, Fleischer had a beef with Disney. <laughs> Get in line. Just kidding. Walt Disney is often erroneously given credit for producing and releasing the first sound cartoon, Steamboat Willie, in 1928, oh, yeah. starring Mickey Mouse. This is apparently not true. Oh. What? His brother, Dave Fleischer, and his brother, Max, the main guy, were making cartoons as early as 1924. So at least four years ahead of uh, good gotcha. old Walt. So they were the shadow to Walt Disney's Batman, is what you're saying? Yes, Ooh. pretty much. Yeah, the unsung heroes. Mm. See, see, so see what they teach you in history class. It's all a lie. 
So getting into overall company. No, it's real. <laughs> overall company info. Max Fleischer and Dave Fleischer were reluctant to take the Superman assignment because it would require much more realistic designs and animation than they usually used. They tried to discourage Paramount by stating that they would need a budget of around $100,000 per short, four times the budget of an average Walt Disney cartoon, which at that time had the highest budgets in animation. By the way, $100,000 in fucking, what, 19... 30-something, whenever the fuck this was? 1940? 1941. 1941? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a ton of money. Hell of a lot of money, dude. Wow. Just for a short? Yeah, it's ridiculous. And by the way, they keep saying short. Like, people call these short films and not episodes. But I'm going to, throughout this episode mm-hmm. of our podcast, well, I'm going to yeah. interchange. Uh, yeah, especially in the field of animation, there's definitely an emphasis on animated shorts and the categories by which they're yes. judged and critiqued and whatever. Yes, yes, yes. So, to their shock, Paramount agreed to at least <laughs> half the amount, <laughs> but still was incredible. Nice. Uh, it was the biggest budgeted animation series in film history, if it was adjusted, adjusted for inflation. Of course, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, Jeez. this is probably why this cartoon still holds up, in my opinion. I didn't know we had fucking haters on the goddamn <laughs> podcast today. I did say haters. Wait, what are we talking about again? Overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Insane budget. All right, anyway... Moving on from that. <laughs> I thought you uh, asked the first if time. I was familiar with Subway Sandwiches. No, I love these cartoons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving forward from that, Superman, like I said earlier, this was his cinematic debut. It was also the first superhero animation, of course. When the Fleischer started work on the series and the uh, in the comic books at the time, Superman could only leap from place to place. Hence the classic phrase, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Wow. After seeing the leaping fully animated, however, the Fleischers deemed it, quote, silly looking. Yeah. And they asked the permission from Action Comics, which would later become DC, if we could, if they could have him fly instead, and they agreed. And so thusly, Superman was formally given his most o- iconic superpower. Way. Flight. That's crazy. Uh, yes. Can I add one more thing to that, though? Yeah. Is that the uh, radio series that debuted in 1940... Uh, they knew that it would be a little awkward as well for them to have the audio to say that he's actually leaping. So they would make uh, references to him flying and the sound of the of the uh, air flying past him. But they didn't, the have, they didn't. They didn't make the full turn until the animation, though. You didn't get to see him fly because it was radio. Because it was radio. But technically, the radio series is the first time he flew. You just never saw him, obviously, because it was all audio. Ah. Okay. All right. Sounds good. I'm glad you're here to correct me. All right. Do you think he helped? I mean, it still, it still was the first time we saw it. You Did know? they he just still... hint at it, though? Or, or is it like... No, they, actual... they flat out said, like, look, there's a man flying. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> Do you think... Well, anyway, it wasn't from the comics. Yeah, no, no, we can agree on that. There was definitely no nothing in the comics. The radio series was hugely influential on the rest of it, and maybe we'll do a deep dive in the future uh, that I can do, because they're responsible for the Up in the Sky quote yes. that's in the beginning that's now famous, as well as... Certain characters like Jimmy Olsen and Perry White, and I think Kryptonite. Kryptonite, I don't think, shows up in the Fleischer series, does it? No, it wasn't yeah. created at the time. Oh, okay, so the radio show came, that premiered after. Or or if it was, you know, well, no, it, it was before, but it was it was it lasted longer, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it lasted longer than the Fleischer series, so over time they covered that. I like his little underwears. <laughs> So you, wait, wait, I have to, I have to, to ask this for the audience. You don't like the Fleischer cartoons, but you like the radio show. Ooh. 
Uh, yeah, because they're more interesting stories. What makes them more interesting in your opinion? Uh, because you actually follow Clark Kent through everything, and 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 uh, switching to Superman, and so you get to hear you see the adventures through his perspective, uh, and challenge the guy. Like he has actual dialogue in the in the uh, shorts. He kind of just sure he has a few lines, but most of the time he just shows up and helps out some disaster or a bunch of criminals and then, I get you, know, you. I think the they wanted to, they wanted to focus on the spectacle because this was oh, the first time they ever did this but yes okay I got yeah. you yeah yeah, yeah. they no, wanted I mean, to I, get to get to him punching things which as I soon get, as possible you know, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. saying in 1940 this I'm sure this is amazing it's just since we're not in 1940 anymore it's a little tough for me to have the same appreciation I got you a little bit more character work in the radio show right okay all right um all right Anyway, it sounds good. I understand. <laughs> Getting back to it. <laughs> Previously, he was only shown flying in the comics due to an artist and editorial error in Superman number 10. But I don't think this was canon by any stretch of the imagination at the time. The cartoons also really fleshed out the look of the Daily Planet more than what was seen before in the comics. Fleischer created the black, red, and yellow S symbol on his chest as well. I didn't realize this before I did research for this episode, but yes, he there is a Fleischer S symbol. I'm sure a lot of Superman fans out there already knew this, but I just never like I've I've watched the show since I was a kid off and on, but I forgot that it had like the the black in it. So mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. Yeah. It had a little stamp it's, there. It's foreshadowing of Kingdom Come Superman because he also has got the black in the back, which probably was influenced by that. That's cool. Yeah, I, I like the black in It's cool. Seems like it might be too dark for Superman, but it works. So yeah, it was more cinematic than any other cartoons, especially at the time and even now in a lot of ways. Okay, so checking in uh, with you guys, what is the most interesting thing you've learned thus far? Wolf, we haven't talked in a bit. The uh, knowing when he flew or how they how that how that changeover okay. happened and whatnot for the animation specifically and also knowing that the uh the dude created rotoscope and benetavius um i i'm curious to find out this whole daily planet thing myself because that's such an iconic part of it but i wouldn't be surprised if that was a fleischer invention as opposed to uh you know in the early comics uh superman didn't even work at the daily planet he worked at a place called the daily star uh, oh, it was a yeah. completely different editor. And then at some point there was a changeover, and I don't know if that was because of the radio series. The radio series cemented the fact, you know, here's the Daily Planet, and they created uh, Perry White. So maybe because of that, then Fleischer just added onto it in terms of like, here's what the Daily Planet looks like. It's called Daily Planet, so let's put a globe at the top. But he, uh, we'll have to take a look. He goes all over the planet because he's Superman. Yeah. We're, we're going to make him work at a place called the planet. <laughs> yeah. we got to find the guy that's like, uh, what's he call it? Um... Bob Kane for Superman. <laughs> we, we need that guy. <laughs> Carmine Infantino. Maybe, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll have to take a look into it, because we all already know the Bill Finger of this were the uh, Siegel and Schuster. Oh, yeah, the bo both. Yes, that's yeah. some sad shit, but we'll get into that as we move forward in our Superman series. Dun-dun-dun! Yep. Moving on from that, who were the voice actors for Superman by Fleischer? So, mm -hmm. Superman was voiced by a guy named Bud Collier. His birth name was Clayton Johnson Heermans Jr. Heermans? <laughs> That's why he changed it, yeah. Heermans, I swear, it's H-E-E-R-M-A-N-C-E. -E -E. Oh, Heermans. <laughs> Heermans. Clayton Johnson Heermans Jr. It's still a strange name. Okay, so Collier's uh, best remembered for the radio show. 
starting in uh, the early 1940s, called The Adventures of Superman on the Mutual Broadcasting System. So they basically just took the radio voices and put them in the cartoon. Made sense. All the kids knew it. Extremely popular show, right? (laughs) Um, Every Superman episode featured a scene in which Clark Kent changed into a Superman costume, an effect which Collier conveyed by shifting voices while speaking the phrase, This looks like a job for Superman. Always dropping his voice uh, as he said the line. (laughs) Wolfie, you want to give that line a go? This looks like a job for Superman. No, that's terrible. <laughs> you, you went higher. That's okay. It's this reversed. looks like a job for Superman. <laughs> I think that was too hot. Let me do one more. It's a bit of a goofy. Yeah. This looks like a job for Superman. Ben, Ben, you got one, man. <laughs> I'll do a reverse for I'll do the bizarre version. Oh shit, that's a good idea. <laughs> this looks like a job for Superman. <laughs> That's great. Perfect. You're probably the first to think of that. (laughs) Maybe. Okay, so Collier was the first to think of this voice change, but also I think he was the first guy to voice Superman. But uh, Yeah, the first one to voice a superhero, I think. I might be wrong with that. Yeah, Yeah. there might be some, like, pulp comic shit, too, like, uh, what you call it, um, uh, the Man of Bronze. What's his name? Uh, Uh, Doc Doc Savage. Savage. But I don't know if there were adaptations of Doc Savage at the time. I know there was a shadow, there are a few shadow movies from that time, but I don't remember the guy changing his voice. Right. So, well, at least for Superman, this guy had the perfect note for his character, so that was good. Right, and it's carried over ever since, really. I mean, think of how Christopher Reeve did it as well. Like he was always right. like, "Oh, oh, hi, Mr. White," and then like when he's a Superman, he's like, "I'm a friend, Lois." Like you know, right, it's, right, right, it's right. Still influenced by that. You got to man. He got to, but uh, anyway, uh, he voiced the Superman voice in the 1960s cartoon, The New Adventures of Superman, in 1966. He was awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame for radio. That star may be found at 6150 Hollywood Boulevard. Nice. Go there after COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Stay home. Okay. (laughs) Lois Lane was was portrayed by Joan Alexander for most of the run. I couldn't find on who else did it, but it's uh, for most of the radio run is what I'm talking about. For all of of the Fleischers uh, and famous studios. But uh, but yeah, and she did it for Mutual Mutual Radio and also on ABC Radio from 1949 to 1951. Her real name was Louise Abras, Joan Alexander's real name. Mm. And uh, no one knows where Alexander came from. Joan, the Joan part came from the actress Joan Crawford. Alexander portrayed Lois Lane in the radio show for more than 1,600 episodes. But Chief, I'd like the chance to crack the story on my own. Well, no. Thanks, Chief. But Lois. Nice. I do have the names of the other actresses. Oh, shit. Uh, From the radio show. It was Raleigh... Nice. Yeah, Raleigh Bester and Helen Choate. Nice. Coming with us, uh, the backup support there. Thanks, dude. So she died only recently on May 21st, 2009, at the age of 94. Damn. So she probably started this career pretty young as well, but that's cool. And, of course, there are many other voice actors, but those are the main ones that we're going to cover right now. How are you guys feeling so far? Oh, I feel pretty good. Lower back's a little tight. Um... A little hungry, but pretty good. Cholesterol's a little high. Okay, Ben. I think, uh, you know, Bud Coyer is one of the more underrated Superman actors. People don't really talk that much about him, but he was such an influence on everything. 
and uh, obviously it helped that uh, he was crossover from the radio series. I don't think that type of there was a natural crossover at the time. We're just like, oh, like people aren't know him in this role, so we might as well keep him. As opposed to today, where it's just like we have six different Superman on movie, TV, yes. animation, video games. Like it's it, the time back then was just like, all right, well, let's just get the same guy. It's simpler that way. I mean, he already had like the the brand recognition. The kids love that voice. They you know they want mm-hmm. what they know. Um, you know, comic book fans are like that, right? <laughs> you kind of like yeah, they, you know what you like, and then yeah. And I think people could imagine then, you know, they watch the short in the theater and then they come home and they listen to the radio series and they can imagine it's all the same continuity. Yeah, exactly. All right. So after the break, we're going to get into the episodes a little bit more in detail. Alfred, I was wondering if that fishy swa was ready yet or not. I'm hungry. Coming, Master Wayne. Hold your horses. It'll be done in just a moment. I need my sustenance for busting thugs in the streets. On the way, on the way. Here I come. Worry not. My gosh dang biceps barely even fit in this gosh dang bat suit anymore as well. I'm going to need that tailored again as well, Alfred. Here's your sandwich, Master Wayne. Uh, yes, yes, let me take a look. Of course. Again, no, no problem. I guess one could say I've gotten a bit too swole, as it were. <sighs> Last night on patrol. I put a bunch of <sighs> what has become of my life? This is Alfred Pennyworth, a 63-year-old butler. He lives his daily existence in servitude to what appears to be a feckless lunatic in pajamas. I punched him many times, leaving him unconscious but still alive because I'm still the Batman. He toils day and night to satisfy the whims and whimsy of an overgrown child. One finger push-ups, motherfucker. Let's do this shit, Alfred. We are here quite seriously to examine what in the world went wrong. How has a man who served his government as a special forces agent and a man who has dedicated his life to the service of his greatest friend but now we see the glamour of this life that he's chosen has seemed to worn off and the look in his eyes is that of pure despair. Alfred, you know I require a swirly straw with my drink while I eat my fishy swa. Ah, yes. Master Wayne, my apologies. I'll retrieve that right away. Thank you, my good man. All right, everybody, if you like that little preview to the sketch right there, we have that plus news, plus we're bringing back some opinion pieces and uh, review-type stuff and all kinds of stuff in our $5 tier on Patreon. So just go to patreon.com slash superherostuffpod, and if you become part of the $5 tier, you can see these new bonus episodes. Basically, consider it Superhouse DLC. You're listening to Superhero Stuff You Should Know. All right, so let's get into the episodes. So starting with the first half under Fleischer Studios proper, we have the first episode. Officially, it's just titled Superman, but unofficially, it's titled The Mad Scientist. And uh, the first one was released on September 26, 1941. This is right in wartime, right, man? This is just... 
Bad yeah, timing, really. Oh, wow. so really, some of the worst timing for starting uh, starting a whole series. But anyway, or maybe good timing, considering the uh, the character who it was. We need hope. That's true. We That's need not, hope. That's true. That's true. You notice nobody nobody likes dark superhero stuff right now because real life's dark <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> it seems like the dark '90s stuff is out of fashion at the moment. But anyway, um, the prologue for the first episode sums up the origins of Superman. That was what was in the cold open, actually, so I won't read all of that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, anyway, moving on. I always thought that was a great intro. Um, it was probably the first time I ever heard the actual origin of Superman myself. Uh, the one thing to add to that, though, did you, I thought it was always interesting that in the old days with the radio... I think it's also in the radio series, but definitely in the show is referenced that Krypton had a whole race of Supermen. You know, over in Krypton, they already were flying. Oh, really? Oh, they didn't have no, the whole red sun aspect of it. There's yet. no red sun, yellow sun thing. Like, apparently, that's just a natural Kryptonian thing. You just flew around and, and shit and had all those powers already. I wonder if, like, actual science even knew about red suns at that time. Like, yeah, I don't think they were think, thinking about it. They were just like, oh, it just makes sense. That's the planet he came from, so everyone else is going to have the power. Right. It was simpler in that way, but then we get mm-hmm. updated our actual real science, and then that informed... Superman, which is a sci-fi character, everybody. He's an alien. They're <laughs> spaceships. <laughs> um, but anyway, <laughs> so um, the sound of the planet Krypton exploding in the introduction was achieved by amplifying the sound of an apple being ripped apart by hand. Whoa. The mad scientist was voiced by Jack Mercer. This is the guy that also voiced Popeye and Felix the Cat at the time. So you want a story. I'll give you the greatest story of destruction the world has ever known. Um, in the episode, the mad scientist uses a beam weapon to weaken the foundations of the Daily Planet skyscraper, causing it to tip over. But fortunately, Superman shows up, of course, <laughs> and uh, saves the day, basically. Yay! I thought it was interesting that that mad scientist in his note is just like, you failed to heed my warnings. And you're just like, okay, what warnings? And are we talking like... <laughs> I assume there's something that they was maybe like not covered that (laughs) is like could be covered in a prequel comic or something. I warned you all about the coronavirus. He's talking. Listen to me. He's talking to some like um, bird in this too, right? Yeah, he's got his own bird uh, henchman or henchbird type thing. I love that. We don't know. Yeah, (laughs) I love that dang bird. What his warnings were. I love that. I was wondering maybe the they were trying to or the idea of it was that he was sort of like Jor-El gone bad because he's just like you failed to heed my warnings I'm just like hmm what warnings could that have been but you know that's just a very granular thing that's part of it I think it's just his motivation to be a mad scientist in the first place but just something to think about granulation yeah I think they're just sort of playing with this idea of uh, what a science wrought science, the mad scientists just you <clears throat> know uh I don't know. Science gone wrong, and Superman's got to stop it. I guess I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they go, if they were really thinking too deeply about that, but yeah, could I they? Doubt it. Well, there's definitely some DNA of some of that stuff in there, I guess. But anyway, Boris Karloff's character of the engineer Polzig in The Black Cat, 1934, was the inspiration for the Mad Scientist. His Mao suit hairdo, the way he climbs down the spiral staircase, only as a shadow are obviously referenced in the cartoon as well as the organ playing by Karloff's Mad Scientist. These have all become horror staple, horror film staples since then. Cool. Uh, 
It seems like this character is a time before they really had the idea of a super villain. They had superheroes, of course, but I don't think we really had super villains yet. Correct me if I'm wrong, Ben. And this was uh, before were Lex Luthor. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, in, the, in the shadow, they did. But, uh, you know, everybody quickly forgot about him and his villains once the superheroes came out. Okay, so it was com- com- total wash away, maybe. <clears throat> right, but he was fighting mad scientists and, you know, killer clowns and stuff in the 30s. And this is 1941, so all that stuff was already established. Ah, uh, okay. But it was oh, yeah, the Joker had already come by. This the Joker de- and Catwoman and Penguin, they were all, I mean, not Penguin. Um, <clears throat> let's see, 1941. I think Two-Face were already out by this time. This is before, definitely before Lex Luthor was created, though, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, there's no, and if even if Lex Luthor had shown up, he was only maybe in, like, one story or so, and he wasn't even Lex Luthor, you know, he was... Right, right, right. Lex Luthor, well, he, he was just Luthor, and he was in, like, one story at some point, so I, I don't think he was seen as arch-villain material yet. Right. People love that bald head. <laughs> All right, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, obviously, since the first episode, it also uh, marks the first uh, appearance on film of the famous introduction. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings yeah, in a single bound. Yeah, rock and roll, baby. Lock and load, I'm there. <laughs> We're in, let's do it. Gets me pumped. Uh, all right, so that's it for episode one. Going on to episode two. Uh, entitled The Mechanical Monsters. This one's probably my personal favorite, and this one was not on my fucking VHS, man. I wish it was. Really? Yes. That's the most classic one outside of the first one. I know. It was not on there, man. I don't remember seeing this at all, but uh, we'll get into it. Um, There are robots aplenty and akimbo in this one. (laughs) (laughs) I also... There's also a scene in which uh, he blocks some lava falling on the lowest with his cape. Just with a cape, yeah. Awesome scene, one of the one of the best uh, in my opinion. Um, also, this is the first story from any medium that features Clark using a motherfucking telephone booth to change yep. into Superman. Man, 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 man. one fucking badass so. telephone booth. Fleischer and his studios are responsible for that, at least. The mechanical monsters are these big, like, hulking robots in it. Uh, they are also referenced in Miyazaki's film, you know, Studio Ghibli's film, uh, Castle in the Sky. And they're also heavily influenced, the robots, in the 2004 film, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. Yeah. Wolfie, did we see that in Savannah? Um, I'm not sure if you and I were there at the same screening. And if we, you were, you would remember that there were these kids, these teenagers behind us that laughed through the whole movie. And granted, it was like ridiculous. But like, <laughs> we're all in film school and we're like, oh, look at the special effects or that the state of it at that point. It was like a spectacle, you know. Yeah. And these kids are just clowning yeah. it behind us. And <laughs> it was kind of ruined the movie. But I don't know if you were at that screening. I remember seeing it with Bowditch and yeah. I think some other people, yeah. maybe Maddie, and and then at the end, I, like we asked Bowditch, he's been on the podcast before. Check out our Black Panther review. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, he said, uh, he said, well, shit did blow up. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all he said. Yeah, it's so not a review. It's not a great movie, but it's kitschy. <laughs> the movie had more of a look than it totally, had yeah. anything else, and it was a first for like Jude Law. Uh, he was just blowing up, so it was this really pulpy sci-fi thing that came no, out. No, 2004 is the year Jude Law was in, like, 20 oh, okay. movies. Maybe it's Angelina. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, it Maybe it's somebody in it was like, oh, cool, they're doing something weird. I, I was so tired of seeing Jude Law at this time. I, I was like, we see this. 
this motherfucker again? Are you kidding me? <laughs> anyway, AI. I, mean, I, like, I like the guy, but in Man's 2004, he was in everything, dude. <laughs> okay, well, I'll go fuck myself then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway, in the 84th episode of the 90s, B-Taz, that's Batman the Animated Series, entitled Deep Freeze, Mr. Freeze is kidnapped by a robot very similar to that of the mechanical <laughs> monster robots as well. <laughs> yep. Robot sent by uh, a character voiced by Dan O'Herlihy, who was the old man of OCP in Robocop 1 and 2. Please yeah. check out our O-Champ uh, over the critical, hyper-analytical movie club episode on Robocop. Thanks. Yeah. It's called crossovers, y'all. Get with it. <laughs> Get cool, with that's it. Awesome. Okay. Moving on to episode 3 called Billion Dollar Limited. The episode centers on a train carrying $1 billion in gold to the U.S. Mint, which is sabotaged by robbers before Superman intervenes. And that's pretty much it. Moving on to episode four. Well, it's, it's <laughs> Superman versus a train for the first time that we've oh. seen it on film, which is also seen later on a little bit. I mean, in a different way in Superman the movie when he has to, like, be on top of the tracks and stuff. I, I like the, the setting of the, of the train stuff. In, right, in, right, uh, right. This is also the one where they, I think he's trying to save the train. And they start shooting it. Oh, no, no, no. They, they shoot uh, gas at him. And he starts coughing, which oh, is insane yeah. in today's audiences because you would just think Superman would just be like, whatever. I'm just going right, to move this right, thing. Right. But in 1941, he's like coughing through it. Like he's weak uh, or weaker than the Superman we expect now. So that's kind of cool to see. Yeah, I think, and we'll get into this as we continue our dive, but Superman in general, just as a, like a, a bigger idea here, it was uh, influenced by, uh, it's, it's, to me, it seems like he was really influenced by John Carter of Mars. John Carter mm-hmm. goes to Mars and becomes more powerful there. And they just switch that to where an alien comes to Earth and becomes more powerful. Uh, oh, wow. Or yeah, I guess it would always much. erase Superman. But anyway, mm-hmm. still, still a similar kind of idea. And it wasn't like he was like this God King kind of character at, at this time. He was literally just a man that is super, but not completely invulnerable. Right. Right. Yeah, there was no... Uh, I don't think people were doing the Jesus parallels yet at this time. And also the whole... We'll get... We're taking a lot of tangents here, but it's cool. <laughs> the Jesus stuff, too, is also comes way late because Siegel and Schuster are both Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is a, it's, a, it's, a Moses, it's a Moses parallel, if anything, because you have the whole Moses and the basket sent down, what, the River Nile. That is mm. the uh, fucking spaceship sent across space. What? It's like... It's all there. Quit blowing my yeah. mind. There's that... Inf- there's that inf- there's that infamous story of that Michael Uslan said when he was trying to get approval for comic books uh, to teach comic books at a uh, university. And the university head was like, you know, comics are for kids. Like, there's no way you can convince me this is adult literature. And he's like, well, you grew up with Superman. Tell me the story of Superman. And he's like, well, the planet's about to blow up. The scientist puts the baby into the, the rocket, and the rocket comes down where he's found by a family, blah, 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 where he's going to become, you know, a savior. And he's like, okay you also are a religious man. Do you know the story of Moses? And the guy's like, yes. And he's like, what's the story of Moses? And the guy's like, well, you know, they they got to save their baby, so they put him down the River Nile Ding. where he gets taken in by... And then the guy realized what he was saying, and he's like, all right, you're approved. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell because anybody superheroes about superheroes are our modern-day mythology, motherfucker. About this meeting. <laughs> they put a sci-fi twist on the fucking Torah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody much. had to. About <laughs> damn time. Much, yeah. <laughs> So there's elements of Moses, elements of uh, John Carter, as Andrew said, a little bit as well as Doc Savage that that Andrew uh, referenced. So maybe we'll get into a deeper dive into the Siegel Schuster origin type stuff. But definitely, uh, there's definitely shades of that here. 
with yes. the fact that he's a little weaker because of the fact that he he can't take the tear gas. And he's just just barely started flying too, you know. So like they're definitely they don't they don't know the exact power move set yet either, you know. So it's an interesting mm-hmm. time. It's the beginnings, yeah. you know. Yeah. So anyway, number four, episode four was called the Arctic Giant. This is a cool one where he basically fights Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jurassic Park, yeah. It or looks Jurassic more Park. like he it's fights a, a Denver, ju- the last dinosaur, but yeah. <laughs> yes, it's yeah. a very cutesy, like, snaggletooth-looking thing. It's br- great, though. <laughs> like, shark. It's great, yeah. I mean, it's obviously for kids, but it's a big green dinosaur that he's fighting, and um, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong out there, listening audience or Ben, but I think this predates Godzilla, because Godzilla's post-World War II, and um, yep. this could have influenced... Um, Japan and the creation of Godzilla with of course the help of King Kong and there was also a Ray Harryhausen movie in which a T-Rex mm-hmm. um, goes through New York or something like that but uh, this is definitely probably in the mix there get in the mix I'd say so so that's that's probably just because it's a Godzilla thing this is also one of my other favorite episodes Mechanical Monsters and, and the Arctic Giant so that's that's pretty cool the next episode was called The Bulleteers Superman defends the city against a villainous gang called the Bulleteers, who are equipped with bullet sh- with a bullet-shaped rocket car. They're all in this kind of bullet-themed getup. Yeah. <laughs> with, and I think this is one of the ones that was on the fucking VHS, actually. But They're just uh, that thugs. I had. But anyway. They're just um, low-life thugs. You got anything for this one, Ben? Um, I mean, the... the- some this and the mechanical monsters felt like they were being referenced in the Batman the Animated Series episode of the Grey Ghost. The yeah. Because if you remember, not it's not just Adam West. Yeah, it's not just Adam West as a Grey Ghost, but it's also a guy who's replicating the Mad Bomber, who would send those like toy bomb type who stuff. So oh, right, the right, whole right. like mechanical shit doing doing stuff for you in like the 1930s era old school type of city seems uh, like it's probably likely influenced by Fleischer. That's true, and there's something really cool about the the rocket car in this. You have like a real cool sense of speed in it. I think I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe it's just me, but it like especially for such an early animation type, for, for such early animation, like the the speed in this one is cool. So mm. that's maybe made a me dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> Episode six is called the magnetic telescope. Uh, this has a scientist in it that resembles uh, very much so Dr. Sivana from Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Shazam. Shazam! Old school Sivana, not Mark Strong Sivana. Yeah, that obviously the old school version. That scientist uses a magnetic telescope. Well, there's a giant U-shaped magnet connected to the telescope and is pointed at a comet. And they basically draw the comet towards observers. And That's then Superman, of course, genius. I'll be right back. Saves the day. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of a natural phenomenon as well, because it has a comet. But uh, Segway, really the first one in earnest is uh, Electric Earthquake, uh, Episode 7, which is the first one to have uh, him saving people from an uh, from a na- natural phenomena. Phenomena. I mean, I, is it natural phenomena? Because it's well, the guy's causing them? That's true. Unnatural phenomena, because it's, uh, yeah, a madman is electronically inducing the earthquakes so yeah that's cool too episode call it no man's land episode eight was volcano they had a theme going on here uh superman is uh goes to save a small island community from a volcanic eruption and is therefore this is the second episode in the series that was about a natural or unnatural disaster 
Episode 9, Terror on the Midway. It's a pretty cool name. Yeah, be careful on them midways. Superman. Exactly. Also made Mortal Kombat in the 90s. Anyway, <laughs> Superman attempts to stop the chaos created when several circus animals escape their cages and restraints, including a giant gorilla. Honestly, all of these should be all of these episodes should be the opening act of the next Superman movie. <laughs> it just, it just runs through thing. the gamut of things to save people, and then the, you know the second or like near to the the end of the first act, it's like aliens or Brainiac or something. You're like, holy shit! I, you know, I have been thinking about that. Yeah, you know, in terms of like, what if somebody tried to just incorporate a little bit more Fleischer references in the Superman because it's stuff so visual. You know, you, stuff that yeah, you don't you don't yeah. have to rely on the Fle- Fleischer mythology in order to incorporate some of this stuff. So it's it's kind of a gem in that way if you think about it. If somebody does incorporate it. I, that'd be tight. Yeah, it'd be kind of like the shorthand. Yeah. It's like the shorthand of it, just like with uh, other elements of the Batman mythos, where it's just like, all right, parents die, yeah. here are the pearls, on to the next stuff. Yeah. Get it. There's the origin. The Hulk did that really yes. good. You can achieve a lot in an opening title sequence, guys. <laughs> Hollywood. That was apparently Cameron's idea for whenever he was supposed to do Spider-Man. Yeah, just kind of get it out he, of the way. He didn't want to spend a whole movie on ba- it. I guess yeah. uh, Snyder kind of did that for Batman Superman in a way as well. I mean, I, true, I, I, do, I do That's like true. that. I think it's effective. I don't know. Maybe in some people's minds it's lazy, but I think that would be a good route for better, more stories, expanded stories with some of these popular heroes. It's weird. Right. I don't need to see Krypton yeah. explode again in the opening. Origins credits. are so polarizing because some people love them and some people hate them. I mean, I liked Batman Begins a yeah. lot. I mean, I like that whole part of that, the mythos there. And plus, we had never seen it on. We'd never seen it at all on screen before, so I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of whatever you do, just make a fucking good movie. It, it can right, yeah. pretty much. Or you know, yeah. and especially like in what you're referencing to the history of the character and stuff, putting in a little subtlety and nuance with the way you're pulling it out is interesting. You know, to represent those right. core ideas. Right. So, what are you guys' thoughts on the first eight so far? Well, I mean, for me, the most interesting was what I mentioned about Billion Dollar Limited, where he's coughing through the, the gas and yeah, stuff. Again, yeah, that's, yeah. that's such a... At the time, it, it seems like, oh, yeah, because he wouldn't be able to handle it naturally. Like, that that makes sense. But today, uh, you'd be like, what? Right. Which is my reaction when I, when I rewatched that recently. I liked the Boris Karloff thing. That was cool. I didn't realize he was involved. Or or he wasn't. It was ba- the character's, like, based on Boris Karloff, right? And you mentioned John Carter of Mars. Kudos for that one. I'm in. And the Moses uh, stuff? Yeah, that was great. Yeah, the the Jesus stuff is very recent. Yeah. Equating Superman to Jesus. Nash that's in everything. Uh, check yeah. out uh, The Passion of the Robocop, overly critical, Robocop. hyper-analytical movie. Yes. <laughs> it's also in the Robocop. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> okay. Uh, so after episode eight, they switched over to Famous Studios basically as far as i can tell had mostly the same people and max fleischer and his brother were heading it up still but actually well things were getting more complicated with his brother we'll get into that fleischer studios was acquired after this by paramount and uh paramount ousted max and dave fleischer in 1941 jeez compounding the problems the studio was facing was the fact that the studio's co-founders max fleischer and dave fleischer were becoming increasingly estranged oh wow they were no longer speaking to each other due to personal and professional disputes. On May 25th, 1941, Paramount assumed full ownership of Fleischer Studios and had the Fleischer brothers submit signed letters of resignation Damn. to be used at Paramount's discretion. Get that Jeez. 
bleep, uh, out of here. If you didn't really know it, uh, watching these, they don't really look all that different from episode eight, from uh, from the first half to the last half. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, the look, the look has not changed really at all. Maybe the logo in the beginning is different, but that's really it. Fleischer's still behind it all. Episode 10. Do you want me to cover this one? <laughs> no, no, no. Here we go. I got it. Okay. <laughs> Glad you asked. So episode 10. Let's remember the time period here, guys. <laughs> here we go. This one was called Japa Tours. Whoa. Amazing. <laughs> this is, remember, 1941. This is World War time. A lot of, right. lot of bad stuff happening Dang. at this time. So. Superman is racist. Oh. Get my cancel stamp. We're going to see this as well when we go back to the first Batman uh, movie serial in 1943. Tear down all Superman statues. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, from the jump here, it seems Famous Studios is getting it to be a bit problematic. (laughs) So, By our standards, yes. Japatour, obviously, a portmanteau (laughs) of Japanese and saboteur. And... um, so in this episode, it covers Superman stopping Japanese spies from hijacking a bomber plane and bringing it to Tokyo. And also in this episode, Superman calls one of the Japanese characters, quote-unquote, Little Man. <laughs> it's, honestly, he's not that bad. It's not like he's, just, he's, not like he's saying, yes, 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 slanty-eyed yellow scum or anything yeah. like that. You said it, not me, man. But exactly. yes. Uh, <laughs> I had to say that. But, I mean, yeah, it's, not, it's definitely like it's the worst it gets for sure other right. than you know, the Jap and Japa tour, but, but yes. Right. Cause Superman could say little man to anybody. Yeah, it's true. But you know, it's still it, not great. It's not great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, on a non-racist note for this episode, Woo! there is a plane catching scene at the end of it. That is strikingly similar to that of the one Superman returns y'all. Yeah. From 2006, the one that everybody loves so much, <laughs> but uh, the Brandon Ralph one. Uh, because he does basically the exact same see... thing. He stops an airplane from crashing into a baseball stadium. Yeah. I could see Go I ahead. could see Brian Singer reaching this far back to to emulate oh, sure. some of that, you know, oh, yeah. definitely. For sure, for sure. And they're it's only 10 minutes a piece. You can binge it yeah. all in like 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I could see him, yeah, because there's, like, there's a bit of the old school golden age type of look to the city sometimes in that yes. movie. Yes, yes. Uh, so, like, it makes sense. And also, like, him catching the Daily Planet globe in that movie seems like it's something that would have happened in the, or some sort of slight reference to the first episode of the Fleischer ones with the uh, him catching the Daily Planet building. Agreed, Ben. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> no, I mean, Indeed. I have nothing to add to that. It is a perfectly well stated. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Damn right. <laughs> okay. Episode 11 is called Showdown. Figures dressed up as Superman are terrorizing Metropolis with various robberies. Every paper in the city runs the story that Superman has gone bad, but Lois Lane does not believe it to be true. This is probably one of the first instances, maybe even in any medium, where there's uh, Superman imposters. It's definitely before Bizarro. Yeah, it's before Bizarro. I mean, maybe there was a comics run of this, but uh, I always think that's fun. I mean, it even shows up in in The Dark Knight. They have the Batman imposters. Of course, that's way later, but uh, superhero Mm. imposters is a pretty fun, yeah, pretty fun little story there. Uh, moving on from that, episode twelve. Ele- <laughs> episode twelve was called Eleventh Hour. Uh, they should have uh, switched that around. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> whoops. To what the hour eleventh? Uh, 
Clark Kent oh, and Lois Lane are kept under house arrest as prisoners of war in Yokohama, Japan. It's and then Japs again. Superman himself becomes a saboteur. So, yes. <laughs> they can't get away from that. I mean, there's a lot of uh, World War II stuff that, you know, it's just yeah. what was going on at the time, For sadly. Sure. Andrew, does, uh, did you tell Wolfie, or Wolfie, do you remember, I don't think you were in this episode, uh, I think Andrew shared how Superman got out of fighting in World War II. In the oh, college. no. Oh, yeah. Do you enlighten me, <laughs> brother? So, he, this is like, you know, obviously old-timey Golden Age-style comics, <laughs> but basically, he goes in for an exam as Clark Kent, and he, they say, look at, you know, read the letters on the eye exam mm-hmm. chart, and he... <laughs> Of course, accidentally uses his X-ray vision and reads the letters on the <laughs> chart in the other room. Not only am I strong, so they say your vision is terrible, young man, or something uh, like that. <laughs> he, he's unable to be drafted. Not only am I strong, but I'm also smart. There's like a uh, comic books, uh, what you call it, like a documentary I saw one time where this was a big deal at the time during World War II, as far as like. They could have written Superman solving the war in like one fell swoop, mm-hmm. just flying over to Hitler, mm-hmm. and it was just some. It's it was just like they were trying to write around it. And they didn't know what it was like a problem for comic book writers and the fans because really? it's like we can't have him just kill Hitler because a they're not really killing a lot of well I guess they are but maybe too dark for Superman then mm-hmm. and b like what are we gonna do like not represent the war at all in our comics. Meanwhile, yep. over at Marvel, Captain America punches Hitler in the face. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> like your pansies. Episode 13 was called Destruction, Inc. One night, Metropolis, the elderly night watchman from the Metropolis Metropolis Munitions Works, is found dead in a swamp. Oh. Pretty dark. Pretty dark setting for uh, that this kind of cartoon. That's pretty cool. So does Superman investigate his murder? Is this Superman the world's greatest detective? I mean, not detective, but he's researching as a, you know, a reporter. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Basically, yes. Yeah. Also, you want to think Swamp Thing as soon as you hear Swamp in DC, but that does not happen. Yeah, I was thinking that or uh, Solomon Grundy. Yeah, that's it's still too early Who for that. would have been around at the time, yeah. Too early. It'd be cool, though. So, moving on from that, episode 14... We're almost uh, done with these, but uh, it was called The Mummy Strikes. It was a cool episode in which it kind of had old-school Hollywood-style mummy kind of setting, you know. I'm sure Carlo probably... I didn't read this anywhere, but I'm sure the Boris Karloff mummy stuff and, you know, the Universal Monsters had an impact on this episode as well. So, it's yeah, it's a pretty fun episode. Uh, episode 15 is called Jungle Drums. And uh, you got Jungle in there, obviously <laughs> kind of problematic again. <laughs> Dang. Because uh, it's set in the deep African jungle where a tribe of aboriginal warriors are having a celebration. Their leader is a tall white man. No, it just says a tall man in a white cloak. Uh, but secretly, this guy is a Nazi commander. <laughs> so maybe less problematic than we would think, than you first think. But uh, anyway, the tribe's sacred temple is actually an underground Nazi outpost. So we're going to pretend not to be the master race in order to plot to take over as the master race? Hey, man. Kind of wondering why the Nazis are posing as aboriginal warriors. That is true. Seems contradictory to the, uh, you know, the Nazi cause. It's what you least suspect. Or how how much did they know about Hitler's, like, I mean, I guess they knew about the uh, supreme 
the white supremacy stuff, I guess, that early. But I wonder how much they knew about his inner dealings with occult Could stuff be. and the stuff yeah. like that. Is that but, real? The Hitler occult connections and that kind of thing? Uh, with sort of a tangent, but just to touch on it very quickly, uh, he was into it, but it was more or less, it was more so people surrounding mm-hmm. him. Uh, they call it the Vril Society, right, V-R-I-L. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if a lot of that stuff wasn't, correct us if, if I'm wrong out there, historians, but I wonder if like any of that was known during the war. I wonder if a lot of that kind of got out after the war was done and people were researching things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This this episode was probably still too early to know even that right, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, there was a review there was a magazine at the time called The Film Daily, and they said <laughs> It's all wild, woolly, and in two words, incredible. <laughs> For some reason, two incredibles, two words to this guy. <laughs> we love these Nazi undercover apparitions. <laughs> so yeah, uh, second to last episode was called The Underground World. They discover an underground cave system. There's a guy named Dr. Henderson in this. So Dr. Henderson and Lois have been captured That's... by a race of Hawkmen living in the caverns. What? I know what you're thinking. The original Hawkmen... And uh, Hawkman Hero in DC Comics appeared in Flash Comics number one, which was published by All American Publications in 1940. However, this episode came out in 1943. So maybe there was some influence there, but I don't think he's technically supposed to be that exact Hawkman. Also, Henderson is an interesting name because Inspector Henderson was sort of the police ally uh, to Superman, kind of like Commissioner Gordon or Commissioner Weston, if we're dating back to the Shadow era. Uh, to that, so it's interesting that he Henderson is the name of the Doctor in this one, uh, and then Henderson was recently adapted into the Black Lightning CW series played by Damon Gupta. Well, really, that's cool. I wonder. You think they yeah. were dipping in all that? Yeah, they were because were they uh, in the comics, in the comics, Black Lightning is set around the suicide slum of Metropolis. Okay. Uh, so there would be a connection there with Inspector Henderson since, uh, you know, they probably didn't have the rights for Superman or Metropolis type stuff in the show. They made it its own neighborhood of Freeland uh, okay. in the show. But it, I think the Henderson connection is meant to be the same type of Henderson. So uh, nice. Ironically. Yeah. Ironically that Henderson was finally adapted for something that had nothing to do with Superman, but it's still there. You know, I guess black lightning did get to meet Supergirl and Superman in the crisis on infinite earths. Uh, crossover so still works this will be a cool movie too i mean there's a lot of cool movie ideas here underground cave systems Hawkmen. you know i don't know i think it's cool it definitely would have been cooler than sorry if, if there's especially our older fans out there that are in love with the george reeves superman and the mole men <laughs> movie but i think <laughs> Hawkmen's cooler than mole men well it's, it's also interesting to look at these stories and be like oh it's not just yet another alien invasion from you know Brainiac or Darkseid or Mongol or other Kryptonians like it's there's a nice variety to what's going on here even if I you know as I said in the beginning like I might not be the hugest fan of these episodes but there is something cool about like hey like they had a whole variety of different stories that you probably wouldn't get to see in today's Superman comics I think also it's just like anything at this time it's so early they're just having such a great time with whatever kind of weird science idea that they can have that they're getting from pulp comics, popular science, popular mechanics, early versions of that, you know, whenever the fuck Scientific American started, you know what I mean? Like the whole like Buck Rogers thing. Ooh, I like Buck Rogers. It's just, 
it's such a cool little time period where it was just so to me from what i can gather anyway it seems like all of it was just so novel to them and and like even the idea of superpowers you know like now if a superhero picks up a fucking car on uh on a netflix show or a marvel movie or whatever people just are just snoring in their seats but it's like it was like so i mean to me it's still cool and probably to a lot of our listeners out there but like it's (laughs) it was just such cool imagery at the time and they were you could just kind of to me anyway i think you can really feel just how new it was you know what i mean like now now we're just so used to it especially in our current superhero movie boom that we're living in of course but anyway, uh, the final episode was called Secret Agent, and this is the only short film in which Lois Lane does not appear. Although a female federal agent who looks pretty much just like Lois Lane shows up, but she has blonde hair, <laughs> and she's also voiced by Joan Alexander, the same woman who voices <laughs> Lois Lane. You're exactly my type. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe they were trying to set up something before it got canceled or whatever. But, uh, yeah, this episode involves gangsters and secret agents, as the name implies. Nazis show up once again. And then the whole... Well, maybe this was, uh, like, they planned for this to be the ending, because this episode ends with Superman saluting the flag while flying. (laughs) (laughs) Truth, justice, and the American way. Yep, yep, yep. So, to finish up, Famous Studios would then go on to be Paramount Cartoon Studios in 1957. There have been many times this uh, the Superman the Fleischer Superman series has been released, but most recently it was on a Blu-ray set called Max Fleischer's Superman Collector's Edition was released on October 30th, 2012 by Gaim Studios. But most, if not all of them, are public domain anyway. I think most most of them are on YouTube, if not all. And I actually saw them all on DC Universe. Uh, they just cranked all these bitches up to 4K. I saw the other day. They're going to have a release coming. Yeah. Yeah. A fan did that. Yeah. And so that's the future release, right? Yeah. So that'll be amazing. Highly doubt the Jabba tours uh, made the cut. They need to just release it with like um, like what Disney is oh, doing. Oh, those disclaimers? Like a little. Just have a disclaimer. Yeah, those are interesting. You know what I mean? Just. It's a product of the time. Look at it. It's very of democratic. It's, time. it's a histo- hist. I mean, what do you think about that, Ben? I don't feel like we can comment on it as much as you can, but. Yeah, they would have to do that as well as do that if they ever release the uh, or re-release the Batman serial, at least the one from 1943. The one from 1949 is probably okay, but the 1943 one is just literally the narrator talking about the Jap spies <laughs> hiding in Gotham City and uh, Batman going after them for, you know, of course, for the U.S. of A. So, right, right, right. You know, it's of its time of that era and stuff and you from that lens and everything you know it's it's kind of like look it is it is what it is i'm not somebody to be outraged on that when i when i watch this I, if anything as you've heard that's what videos, i'm here for joke about it yeah <laughs> <laughs> wolf is a, a senior canceller <laughs> i got a t-shirt on and everything <laughs> supreme canceller instead of <laughs> chancellor okay do something <laughs> all right <so. laughs> <laughs> all right so uh yeah they're on dc universe and um but yeah uh fleischer was planning on doing batman next but then a little thing called world war ii was still going on and uh 
wasn't able to do that. Minor inconvenience. Minor inconvenience, but uh, I've heard that there are even storyboards for this, and I don't think they've even seen the light of day yet. Would love to see them. But I believe Batman producer extraordinaire Michael Uslan said this at a Comic-Con panel even. And unless he said this at several panels, which is possible, I was there at at least one of them where he said this. Yeah, and I was with you on that one, I think. You were with me on this one, yes. Okay, so uh, Ben, do you have any any extra info on on these? Well, in his book, uh, The Boy Who Loved Batman, Uslan said that he found some documents in the offices of uh, DC Comics. Uh, and he was able, he actually pasted, or not really pasted, but he still has the letter, and he published it with the book. Uh, and in it, he talks about, it's basically Dave Fleischer asking for the budget, uh, or bringing up an idea of a budget. He says that it'll cost kids about, like, uh, he wants to do four shorts on Batman, about $5,500 each. Uh, but the most interesting thing it seems is way that, cheaper than the other yeah, than Superman. Well, yeah, which is also interesting because of what he says afterwards. He says, quote, These will be live pictures rather than cartoons mm. and will be done in black and white. Ah, so this is before even the first Batman serials? This, yeah, this was 1942, January 25th, 1942. So this is about a good year before the uh, Columbia Pictures serial in 1943 with Lewis Wilson and, and Douglas, Cro- Douglas Croft. So... Uh, he talks about Batman seeing it being a real money maker, especially if the Superman series could depreciate in quality after the fifth or sixth one. <laughs> fifth right, or sixth right. one, they're like, you know. So they weren't planning on really doing a cartoon then, an animated short. That's what it sounds like. It's weird because he says they won't really be cartoons, but he was an animator. So I'm like, I'm not really sure what he means then. Maybe it's the um, initial plans for the uh, stuff to base the rotoscope on. Yeah. Potentially, potentially. Uh, but that would have been interesting. And around 1942, at that time, uh, we could have seen early days of Batman in the Bill Finger suit. We could have seen Batman and Robin fighting gangsters. They could have evolved it as well because they were uh, at that point in 1942. It was clearly established that the Joker was a major villain. So we could have seen right. a Fleischer Joker uh, or a Fleischer Catwoman, maybe even a Fleischer Scarecrow. But that might have been a little early. Scarecrow was kind of around oh, this time. That sounds incredible, dude. That'd be a cool series of drawings to produce, actually, within the style of kind of deal. I now charge all of our listeners to submit a Scarecrow in the Fleischer style. The whole cast of characters. All of them, all of them. And if you really want to be impressive, any animators out there who are bored during this quarantine era and don't have any work, make your version of the Fleischer Batman. That sounds incredible. Yes, please. (laughs) We'd love to see it. We'd love to see it. We command you. (laughs) Yes. So Fleischer Superman's vintage color scheme and film noir approach and overall look influenced Batman, the animated series show from the 90s. There are there's a storyboard or a few storyboards of Batman and Robin for the animated series kind of looking a little Fleischer-esque, uh, very different from what ended up happening. I'll see if I can uh, post that on our social media when we uh, release this episode. All right. And just to finally circle around on his beef with Walt Disney. In 1954, Max's son, Richard Fleischer, was directing 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea for Walt Disney. This brought about the honorary luncheon that united Max with his former competitor. This meeting of the former rivals seemed cordial, and Max remarked that he was very happy making educational films at this point in his career. However, in his collection of memoirs entitled, Damn, I still wish I was making Superman. Just tell me (laughs) when to cry. 
Richard Fleischer relates how, at the mere mention of Disney's name, Max Fleischer would always mutter, that son of a bitch. And probably right after that, you know he's a Nazi, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he hated the Jews. No, <laughs> That's apparently not entirely accurate yeah. from what I heard, but anyway. But yeah, so that's it, man. Fleischer Superman. What did you guys think? Uh, go Wolfie first. It's pretty cool. I think uh, you've went along and set the foundation for this character and what we're ultimately going to be talking about with some of these other um, movies and and cartoons and things in the series. See, that's that's the thing, right? This is it's cool that this is the first one because, like what you said, like this is the first. Superman thing that wasn't a comic book or some random merchandise because I think pretty or much radio series. as radio series, <laughs> <All> yes. <right. laughs> but I mean, but I mean on film though, uh, like live yeah, action. Yeah, the yeah, first no. like Superman, anything he was animated before he was they they attempted live action, right? So it'd be cool to see what they they the rotoscope like film of that they used for this for. That'd be cool. They probably would get things accurate like clothing and clothing movement and stuff. So there's probably a de facto kind of Superman suit for those those, um, shooting those scenarios and things. So that'd be really cool to see. Yeah. Ben, what'd you think, man? I wish I liked these shorts better. (laughs) (laughs) You like it more fleshed out more. Like, well, for me, well, I'm kind of glad that we had a little bit of uh, what do you call it? Uh, flack debate in, in the episode that's that's kind of yeah. a good good thing um for me i do like him probably it was because i did see him when i was really young and there is a nostalgia there for sure but also i do think there is some purity in the storytelling as far as it's just a guy in a fucking suit and a cape that goes and like beats up <laughs> you know right. some evil people that at least need to be taken to jail you know yeah, yeah. I, I think for me, it's more of a case where Superman, the appeal to Superman, is actually more in Clark Kent to me than in Superman. I don't know. I mean, if it's just uh, Clark Kent, though, you need you need well, the super parts no, what, to make it what it is, though. What I mean is is uh, not just the guy who saves the day, but who's the human being behind it? Who? How does he feel? What's his his feelings on Lois? His parents? The responsibilities and stuff like that. Character exploration is what I mean here. Just like with Batman, if it was literally just him solving mysteries that could be cool but also stuff that has to deal with his trauma and tragedy and the hard morality decisions he has to make that's what appeals to me about batman more so than just oh he's just a guy in a suit and he could get killed at any time well i know he's he's not going to get killed at any time this is batman comics they're never going to kill off batman for real so i'm never concerned about him dying just like with superman i'm like okay to me a lot of the appeal is you have all these powers but uh you know the the woman that you have a crush on in the cubicle doesn't even notice you unless you're wearing the fucking suit and the cape or the fact you have a nine to five job. Uh, but at any point when a disaster happens, you're like the savior of mankind. He would get you fired back to your nine to five job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So those types of things to me, that's that what appeals to me about the character is more the balance between the human and the alien side more so than just him doing all these feats so that's probably why the cartoon never really was that much of an appeal to me and to be fair the radio series doesn't necessarily explore that either but it at least has a little more of clark and superman i don't think do you think comics as storytelling medium at this time had gotten that deep well just, no just they, yet and they they hadn't with batman either yeah. uh and i'm not yeah. saying they should have i'm just saying that yeah, that's yeah. why that's why a lot of the stuff here is more of things that i 
I appreciate from a historical perspective more than from a storytelling perspective. Just like I, I reread the I old get Batman it. comics more it's like so an artifact. from just like, okay, here's what it was at the time. Yeah, as an artifact, but rather than like, here's an example of the character done right necessarily because like the character hadn't quite evolved into what we know and love. No, yeah. I mean, he's just barely had started flying, you know, at this time. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, they're still trying to figure it I out. I know. I know. No, I know. I get it. I I'm think I think I think it's very easy for people to uh, kind of in like the. This is sort of a tangent to what you're saying. I mean, I agree with what you mm. said, but I think it's very easy for people to fall into this trap of like that. T- other than the, the war going on, maybe I'm thinking of the 50s or something. But like, there's people think the cuteness of the time, especially white people. But there's like. <laughs> I don't know, like the whole Norman Rockwell thing, like people do like that. And of course, there's a lot of bad t- things going on with that time period. People look at it with rose tinted glasses. But I think maybe I also kind of fall into that trap when I watch these. When I personally, when I watch these like 10 minute shorts, I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing throwing things out there. Yeah. You are. You know, just kidding. <laughs> there's, no, there's a I'm certain cuteness. There's a certain what I'm trying to what I'm trying to say is a certain no, cuteness to this distilled Americana uh, Amer- not just an Americana but like very um, I don't know if pure is the right word but you know very basic in a good way superhero storytelling right. you know what I mean old school golden age yeah, yeah. old yeah, old school golden age you know let's see Superman fly you did, did he use did he have laser beam laser eyes heat vision he I think he uses microscopic uh, vision at one point. There's, there's definitely a shot where it closes in on his eyes. I think in the uh, that might be the mechanical monster. But no heat vision just yet, though, right? I don't think heat vision was around yet. Let me look that up real quick. Yeah. Why does Lois Lane look so busted in these cartoons, though? That's what I want to know. She got them. She got them <laughs> crazy eyes. You can fit a bus right through the thing. They're pointing two totally different directions. Do you have a, a factoid <laughs> about that? It's because they hated women at the time, dude. Oh! <laughs> now I sound like a sympathizer. She looks great. She's beautiful, however she is. I accept her for who she is. Uh, it's So Heat Vision is cited to Superman number 59, which was, I believe, way after the cartoon. All right, well, that makes sense. Cool. Well, for me, doing this study, the most, the, 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 the most fun part was seeing the Mechanical Monsters episode, because I had never seen it. Oh, that was awesome. Oh, yeah. I love robots. I've seen that on the big and screen before, like a special presentation of uh, something. I oh, forget, yeah? But I remember seeing it on the big screen. I forgot when and where. But uh, really cool, like a print of it, probably at a con or something. And uh, the Godzilla one, Arctic, what was it called? Arctic Beast? The Arctic Giant. The Arctic Giant, yes. So, yeah, that was our first deep dive into Superman. Glad you all liked it. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We will be doing more Superman deep dives in the future. He is now officially in rotation. It's cool to add one more character into our current roster, so that's awesome. And uh, we have any custom shout-outs, Ben? Uh, yeah, we have corrections department. Oh, shit. Uh, a Twitter user named P- at pgraham68 said, quote, Hey, I just listened to your numerous Batman Forever podcasts, and they were great. Thank you. Uh, regarding the Batmobile split wing you questioned. So remember when we were going over the Batman Forever Batmobile and how the the back fin sometimes seemed to be, there was one of them, sometimes seemed to be two. Mm. Yeah. Uh, 
P. Graham says this. He says, It was designed to split, according to the Batmobile documentary on the Dark Knight Rises Blu-ray. So that is not a prop malfunction. Oh. Okay. So, uh, that's good to know. Cool. Thank you for listening, P. Graham, and hope you enjoyed this episode as well. <laughs> yes, hopefully we have more Superman crossover with Batman fans. Because <laughs> sometimes those, yes. those, uh, those fandoms actually don't... Uh, don't like each other a lot of the time, man. For some reason, <laughs> some of them don't even like the Fleischer shorts. Apparently, yes, so, yes, you know. yes. How dare! But well, you like Superman, though. I do. I just the, the fly, I just feel like the Fleischer shorts to me are not my favorite versions I of it. I, I, I take you. some of the movies and the car, the later cartoons over that, but uh, that oh, doesn't yeah. mean that I'm not a Superman fan uh, at all. Uh, I do think he's an underrated character. I do. I am tired of hearing people being like, oh, he's not relatable, he's too powerful, and stuff like that. And I think that's something that's worth doing a deep dive into in the future. Yes, I get tired of some of these criticisms myself, but <laughs> yes, we'll get into all that later. Uh, <laughs> please join the Shasta Army at patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. We have many Patreon tiers there. $1 tier is the Shasta tier. $3 tier and then $5 tier is our bonus feed. So you get all, all kinds of extra bonus tutelage, mainly by Ben, because we do the uh, deeper dives and uh, the deepest ones yet may be found behind the paywall. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> uh, special thanks to Kuki Noms, Matt Herring, Elijah B., Shamrock Balls, and Aaron Willett. Please leave us a review in the iTunes store. We would appreciate it. Also, please record us something on your phone. You have a voice recorder app already there, and then share that to superhousepodcast at gmail.com. You, too, can be part of the show. We've already had a few people uh, chime in with that, so uh, that's awesome. And I'm Thunderwolf Drew on Instagram and Twitter, and go ahead, Wolfie. Oh, I just wanted to thank Chris DeCrema for sending in uh, his uh, audio recording for us. So also check out Superhero Stuff You Should Know on YouTube. We have a lot of great stuff there if you haven't already. And I think that's it for me, you guys. Hey, Otis Wolfie. I'll see you guys next time around. Uh, hope you all stay safe, stay hydrated. Thanks for joining me on the pod, Wolf Otavius and Ben Otavius. And thanks for joining us out there in listener land, y'all. This is Andrew signing off. This is Ben signing off. This is Wolfie signing off. Superhero Stuff You Should Know is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.